book of Acts is exciting. It really is. For the apostles and the fledgling church, it's like, it's like the first bike ride without training wheels. Uh, throughout this book, there's boldness. It's, it's, it's inspiring. It's exciting. Uh, part of reading the Bible for me is trying to imagine myself in the crowds or on the roads with Jesus and his disciples, walking along with them and trying to put myself in that place. When we read the New Testament, we begin with uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and everyone might have their favorite book. You know, everybody has something that they kind of lean on. Uh, but uh, as the ministry of Jesus unfolds uh, to its conclusion uh, with the crucifixion, uh, along the way we get to sit in on the teachings. Uh, uh, we get to witness the events that occurred. It's like being there uh, over this three-and-a-half-year period. First glimpse of his ministry to me, kind of actually begins when he's separated from Joseph and Mary and they find him in the temple. Uh, that's when we, first we, the people are just starting to get a clue of what's going on. Luke uh, 2, 46-51, It came to pass after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both hearing and questioning them. And all those hearing him were amazed at his understanding and answers. And... Uh, when they looked for him and they found him, he said, Why is it you're seeking me? Did you not know that it behooves me to be in the house of my father? It was from the Berean Gospel, or the Berean uh, Bible. And so he was obviously not your normal Jewish boy. As time goes on, from changing water into wine, raising Lazarus from the dead, uh, over this short span of time, Jesus turns the world upside down. He turns it upside down. Uh, he preaches the love of God, the salvation, that message. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are beside themselves. That's an expression I never completely understand. <laughs> Their economic and social world is coming to an end, and it really is. Good news goes out to the people. Heads, heads and hearts turn to the joy of salvation. Lots of hearts. And that's the problem. That's the problem for the Jewish leaders. Uh, take a moment to imagine what these days must have been like. Remember the, the two disciples that were walking down the road to Emmaus? And uh, in 2417, Jesus said to them, uh, What kind of conversation is that that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Uh, then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who have not known the things that are happening in these days? And they said to one and later on they said and they said to one another, was our heart not burning within us when he's speaking to us on the road and he was opening the scriptures to us? Everybody knew what was going on. Everybody was uh, upside down over this whole thing. The established order of things was changed. Things were different. Uh, the confusion and contention like no one had really ever seen before. The religious leaders of the day were outraged. And I'm sure many of the Orthodox Jews were outraged as well. It wasn't just the leaders. Who was this guy? And who did he think he was? For them, there's only one solution, kill him. And they did, or so they thought. Still, take a minute to put yourself in this time in history. Imagine the turmoil of the times is a radically polarized time. 
This is incredibly polarized. Uh, I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. Uh, last week, Don kind of went off a little bit on the times that we're living in today and how things are. Pray for our government. Pray for the government that's going on right now. We really need to pray for it. We need to pray for Trump, his salvation, the salvation of the nation. Because no time in my, and I'm 74 years old. In a few days I'll be 75. I've never seen anything like this. Uh, I've never seen such an incredibly polarized time. This was a pro polarized time. And it was a turning point. From, from that, this moment on, the apostles came forward. Uh, Jesus had been crucified. He had appeared to the, uh, the disciples, the apostles, to 500 at one time. And in the sight of, of these people, they, he left. And now it was the, the apostles' turn. Okay? Spirit-filled, thoroughly equipped for the work of the kingdom. They, they'd walked with Jesus for years, right? Uh, they stepped into this topsy-turvy world, world proclaiming the good news and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power and spirit of God. They witnessed miracles. They listened to him speak publicly, privately. He taught them, made their mistakes, and stumbled. They did. They messed up. Uh, before, before this time, uh, Peter, James, John, Thomas, Peter went from saint to sinner in just a couple verses. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, it happened so quick. You know, you're going, yay, Peter. Wow, Peter. You know? Uh, James and John sent mommy to get them the right and left-hand seats. Uh, Thomas doubted big time. Thomas didn't uh, believe. Uh, but after three years, they got it. Now it might be said they've rolled up their spiritual sleeves and went to work. Uh, and they worked faithfully. And they were solid. They were totally solid. Acts 3.1. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is also called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to re receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. What struck me when I read this and when it, I had it preached to me immediately was the authority and boldness, the authority and boldness that Jesus had, or that uh, Peter had. There was no conversation. There was no, uh, I'm going to step aside and pray over this one. He just went, get up. And the guy got up. He knew. He knew. It was in him. He was bold. In chapter 4, Peter and the boys, uh, they get arrested. Uh, tonight's study is a little bit more the same. But in chapter 4, after this healing, after this healing, the, the scribes and Pharisees go off. They, they're having a hard time with these guys. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, said to them, and this is uh, 4 verse 8, where... Peter's standing before the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the captain of the temple, uh, the, the elder priests of the time. And he says, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? 
Let it be known to all, to you all, and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healing standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside, out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them that is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so it spreads no further along the people. Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot speak the things which we have seen and heard. We cannot, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened him, they let him go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old and, and on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to him, this is huge. This is huge. This is, uh, there's so much going on here. The boldness that Peter showed when, when he healed this man struck me immediately. He was bold. Uh, and after this incarceration, they were told, uh, don't do this again. <laughs> the, the Sanhedrin scribes, Pharisees, had no idea uh, who they were dealing with. They could see the men before them, but they couldn't see the Holy Spirit uh, that was in them. I can imagine Peter thinking, oh, sure. <laughs> you know, don't do this anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, like a teenager. Uh, notice, although they killed Jesus, now they had 12 guys to mess with. And how many disciples had come? And then on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church. So this is like an explosion. It was like a fireworks, you know. Uh, you see that thing going, that was Jesus. And that was all the believers. And, and now they were trying to, it was like being surrounded. One time I, I saw a little fire start up in Big Tongue Canyon. I ran down with this blanket trying to put it out. And I was amazed how fast it got behind me. Uh, I'm pounding away on it. And then, oh, my goodness. And I back up five feet and pound some more. And it was back up, back up. And then, well, John knows. And, uh, uh, and finally, I saw the truck pull up. <laughs> you know. So, chapter 4 ends with uh, Hoses uh, in verse Joseph. <laughs> I got Mexican on you. Uh, and having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Uh, but last week was a thoroughly different story. When Don picked up in chapter 5 uh, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, God did what he had to do, Don taught us. God did what he had to do, he, or he wouldn't be God. Uh, that 
even in the early churches, X is fond of saying it was fungus among us. You know, uh, the conclusion of last week's study was the incredible work these men had accomplished. Verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet believers, uh, yet none dared join them, but the people esteemed, uh, esteemed them highly. And the be- believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multiples of both men and women. So they brought the sick out to the streets and laid them on beds and couches, and at the that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is a problem. This has gone beyond Jerusalem. Now they've got people from other cities showing up that all they want is for a shadow to fall on them. They want to hear what's going on. People are, even if they haven't dedicated to the Lord, they're believing something is happening. They know something is happening because they talked to to Billy who had a bad foot and he went and the shadow fell on him and Billy's feeling pretty good right now, you know. And and so it's going out there. It's getting out there. And and by by signs and wonders. Uh, So what it is, these people are speaking the truth of the capital T. One time, one time, Debbie and I, I'm, I can be a sucker for anybody carrying a Bible. Uh, Debbie and I were walking along, and uh, uh, there's this place called the World Missionary Society Church of God. It was in our old neighborhood, and uh, tucked away. It was actually a pretty big property. So we're walking, we're going for an evening walk, and this guy's walking along with a Bible, and I go, "Oh, cool, you know, <laughs> brother." And in the course of the of the uh, the walk. Uh, as he got to the church, he said he was going to go out street witnessing. And as we walked a little further, he told us that God was male and fe- female because it said, uh, and he did, you know, he uh, created them in his image, in in their, in our image. And and so as time, you know, in a, just a few more steps, it became really apparent that this guy was off the wall. You know, this guy and and. Uh, Debbie looks at him and goes, you're a blasphemer, you know, and the guy's like, what, you know, and he goes, she goes, you're a blasphemer, you're, you're going to be responsible for leading people astray, you're telling them the wrong thing, that's not right, you're, you're going to, you're going to stand in judgment, you're going to go to hell, you know, and, you know, you can say that maybe she lacked, uh, you know, a filter or something like that, but she told the guy, she told the guy the truth. She told the guy the truth. The guy heard it for real. This guy was, he was messing up. Uh, and he didn't know it. He was, he was totally thinking that he had it. Uh, and we need that kind of boldness today. We do need that kind of boldness. We need to jump in there and say what needs to be said when it needs to be said. Uh, once again, the truth with a capital T. Uh, this is, this is a battlefield right now. It's really turning into more of a battlefield than it ever has been before. You know, and you've got to get the armor on and get out there and fight it. And it's like this. You're either all in it or you're not. Uh, a gal can't say she's sort of pregnant, you know. And you can't say that you're sort of Christian. You're not sort of Christian. You're either Christian or you're not a Christian. You either believe or you don't believe. And so now we find ourselves 
in book 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And they were filled with indignation, and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But at night an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief uh, priests heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in, in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey them, obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the temple stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, and a, a, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain. And all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished. And all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan... Or, or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But it is of God. You cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple... And in every house, they did not cease preaching, teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Great. I love, uh, well, it's got one of the trick lids. Got to be smarter than a bottle. 
Chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the set of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. This ain't no fooling around. Uh, The word indignation could be translated as envy as well, I read. I'm sure these men were indignant, but I suspect there was a a huge concern for their wallets as well. Uh, Remember how the temple figured into daily life. Uh, The large feasts were like Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, And the leaders doing business in the temple uh, treasured it. They needed this. It was their livelihood. Uh, If you had a stake in the unblemished sacrifice concession, uh, you'd be indignant too, probably. Or if if you ran ran the shekel stand, you know, you wouldn't want anybody upsetting the apple cart. Doctrine is one thing, philosophy is another, but these guys, these apostles, they were obviously the real deal. These guys were the real deal, and they they were starting to get this. Uh, People were hearing the word of God, witnessing the power of God with miraculous healings. Peter and the apostles were better than Kaiser. They were like the original free clinic, you know. Uh, Really, the crippled man man begging for alms alms was only the start. He was only the beginning of this stuff. You know, this, this was taken off like it was a radical time. And now it was not a local matter anymore. A multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to, to Jerusalem, bringing sick people, those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. All. So, see what I mean? This ain't no fooling around. This is, this is serious. When the various feasts were held, Jews came from all over uh, to celebrate and make atonement. Jesus established a new covenant. And uh, he became the unblemished sacrifice for all of us, the high priest and those around him realized that this was serious business, and they also realized it didn't favor them. It was going to put them out of business. And they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison, in verse 18. Acts 4.3, similar scene, I just read it. Uh, I speculated that Peter and the apostles had been censured and told to stop healing and preaching. Peter thought, oh, sure, yeah, right. Uh, Peter told him in chapter 4, that's what he said. But Peter and John answers them, here it is, here's the bottom line. This is for for us as much as it's for them. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge. What did they expect? What did they expect? But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the the prison doors and brought them out. And said, if you think about it, and said, where am I? Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Uh, what a rebuke this was to the Jewish leaders. What, a, what an incredible uh, rebuke. They put these guys in prison, put guards at the door, and they came to get them out, and they weren't there. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> once I, I was arrested once for drunk driving. Uh, I called a buddy around 3 in the morning and told him of my predicament. And obviously, I woke him up. Yeah. And he mumbled, can't this wait? <laughs> I said, no, this can't wait. Get me out of here. Uh, getting out of jail is cool. 
It really is. But the way Peter and the apostles get out of jail is, is even more cool. You know? God can do anything he wants any way he wants. This time he sends an angel. Next time he, God will send another angel. Later on in the chapter, or in the book, we're going to see he used an earthquake. But God can do anything he wants. In Acts uh, 16.26, we're going to read, Suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everybody's chains were loosed. Uh, notice, that, near as I can figure out, this is an angel of the Lord. It's not the angel of the Lord. It wasn't specifically Jesus. Uh, in Hebrews 1.14, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And you have mentions of angels also in Luke. Uh, when they uh, meet Mary at the tomb. In Hebrews uh, 13.2, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for they might, uh, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. So they were told, Go stand in the temple, verse 20, and speak to the people all the words of this life. Ask anybody in jail what they would do if they were suddenly and supernaturally released, okay? Most, maybe all of them, probably all of them, will quickly disappear. Uh, they would do their best to become invisible. Uh, they would not want to go back. But not the apostles. They're commanded to go into the temple and share the good news, and that is exactly what they do. Uh, as X is fond of telling us, whenever you do what the Lord tells you to do, to do things work out pretty good. Uh, if the apostles had any doubts or fear, they're not mentioned here. Once again, boldness comes to the forefront. These men are bold. God told them to go in the temple and teach. They went in the temple. They went in the temple and did what they were told to do. And they knew that they were, uh, were going to catch some heat for it, but they didn't not do it. The apostles uh, are consistent in their boldness. Uh, If we do what God tells us to do, things work out pretty good. It always is that way. Uh, in my life, I have not required any divine assistance to make a mess out of things. I can do that real good, all by myself. But this is kind of a non sequitur, but it isn't, because it's going to show the consistency of the apostles' boldness. Uh, talk about their lives, but... This is the end of their lives. Matthew was beheaded with a sword. Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. John died a natural death, but they unsuccessfully tried to boil him in oil. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the less was thrown from a height and beaten with clubs. Philip was hanged. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten until death. Andrew was crucified and preached at the top of his voice to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through with a spear. Jude was killed with arrows, with the arrows of an executioner. Matthias, this is the only second mention of Matthias that I got, was stoned and then beheaded, as was Barnabas. Paul was beheaded in Rome. What I'm speculating by the manner of these deaths is that these guys were bold all the way through. They didn't stop being bold. Uh, they made a lot of people mad 
A lot of people were very upset with these guys, judging by the way they ended. Uh, and if that's the way, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Uh, Andrew preached at the top of his voice until he died. You know, and then think of uh, uh, just there. It's important to realize that boldness is not something that comes and goes. I have to interrupt myself here and ask the question, would I be so bold? I have to ask myself that. Would I be so bold and faithful at these, as these men? We pretty much have it made here. Uh, we pray over our food and our restaurants. We pray together uh, whenever, wherever we are and whenever the Spirit directs us to pray. We put little chrome fish on our cars, wear Christian hats and T-shirts. Uh, but there are you know, parts of the world where such behavior would give, would give you the opportunity uh, to bring your faith to the same conclusion as the disciples. We're, we're blessed. We live in a country that even now, even as funky as everything is, uh, question I ask, ask myself, would I? Would I would I be able to do that? I'd like to think that I could, but, you know, when the rubber meets the road, things change a lot of times. This is an interesting thing. My son said he was in a restaurant up in Saugus eating breakfast, and he went to pay his bill. And the guy told him that uh, the, the owner said, somebody took care of it for you. And he said, really? And he didn't know anybody in the restaurant, so he was a little surprised. And uh, he was in there again, and the owner went over to him and said, that fellow over there is the guy that, that bought your breakfast. So Chad went over and asked him, why would you buy my breakfast? And uh, the guy told me, it just blessed me to see somebody praying over his food. You know? You never know when you're going to be a witness. You never know. You know, the smallest things. Uh, Verse 21. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent sent to the prison and have them brought out. Obedience, wonderful thing. Uh, I only wish I could get it would appear. When, when I get direction from the Lord, I wish that every time I would say yes and do it. You know, but uh, when I do, I'm never wrong. And when I don't, I'm rarely right. Uh, the apostles are not only obedient, once again, they're bold. Uh, so the apostles teaching in the temple, high priests and associates, probably a par- fairly large group, get together for the prisoners. And they're not there. The officers came and did not find them in prison. Return reported, verse 23. Indeed, we found the prison shut securely, the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. you got to love it. you just got to love it. Jesus has been confounding the Pharisees and the disciples for three years. The prison is secure. The guards are in place. All is that is as it should be, except the prisoners aren't there. Certainly not biblical, but two words that must have been said over and over were, huh, and, duh, you know. And I, I'm not sure how these words translate into Hebrew, but, but you know that that had to come up a lot with these guys because Jesus put them through it, and now all of a sudden there was a whole bunch of them doing the same thing. They, they had to feel surrounded. Uh, when the high priest, the captain of the temple, captain of the temple, by the way, was like the the leader of the the, the Levite sentinels. They were the guards, the, the prison guards. And the chief priests heard these things. They wondered what the outcome would be. 
Uh, that's got to be the huh part. Uh, I almost get the feeling while they're surprised and maybe even dumbfounded by now, they're not, I don't believe they're shocked. There's no outrage mentioned here. Uh, nobody's tearing their clothes and throwing ashes in the air. Uh, rather, they wondered what the outcome would be. What is the unfolding here? Uh, what is unfolding is not the result of one incident. This is important. As we go through this book, this is, things are compounding. Things are building on top, one on top of the other. Uh, the, uh, the ministry of Jesus gave him plenty to be outraged about. Uh, we have to recall that Jesus not only contended with him, but he hotly and openly rebuked them. I mean, you know, he called them brood of vipers. He got that from John, his cousin. Uh, but, you know, these guys were listening, hearing a lot of, you know, from Jesus. And now the problem was bigger than they thought. Uh, for the leaders of the day, it just doesn't seem to want to go away. Uh, there comes a moment in reality when the truth dawns on you. Sometimes it's kind of like dawn. It goes like the black sky. To me, it goes like this. It goes black. Then you see the sky get kind of purple. And then daylight comes. Uh, the hint of blue, and then here you are. Path of just like the shining sun shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. I've always seen life as the perfect day. Uh, and that uh, the, the shining sun is like as we know more and more about the Lord, uh, our, our day becomes more and more perfect. Uh, our lives become more and more perfect. So soon we're going to see this Gamaliel reasoning with them. And I was surprised that they received his argument so easily. Uh, so one came and said to them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Just one chapter ago, the very same men had been arrested and commanded, not a suggestion, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now you remember what Peter and John answered. It was right in the sight of God to listen to you. More than God, you judge. This is where Peter said, oh, sure. In verse 26, then the captain went with the officers, brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. Notice the contrast between this arrest and when they arrested Jesus. In John 7:44, they send the guards, the Levite sentinels, to arrest Jesus. They come back empty-handed first time. They said, never has a man spoken like, like this, as this man speaks. They feared the people. They feared the people. Uh, the people loved Jesus. The people loved, loved the apostles. Not all. I'm not saying that the, everybody was, was uh, loving the Lord, but he was having this very positive effect. Uh, the apostles were carrying on the work of the kingdom. The people loved them. As, they, as the love of God and the Holy Spirit was in these men. Listen, when we witness uh, around us, to people around us, what do we say? Do, do people who have never heard the Bible respond to scripture, scripture and scriptural explanations of the salvation message? That's for us. We get that. We read the Bible. We get up in the morning, read your Bible. You go to Bible studies. We listen to Acts. Uh, listen to it on the radio. Uh, what can you present to the world around you that would make you want to consider Jesus as their Savior? I'm not saying you shouldn't use scriptures as a witness. What I am saying is I believe non-believers respond to the love of the Lord. And the love of the Lord needs to be in you. 
And the Holy Spirit needs to be in you. The joy of the Lord, the peace of the Lord. Uh, they respond to that more than they do logical explanations. Uh, salvation is not a head thing. It's a heart thing. And these people love these men. So they, they were careful when they arrested them. They arrested them without violence. Uh, won't be the case in a little while, but... Uh, Verse 27 and 28. When they had brought them, he set them before the council and the high priest and asked them, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. If the intent of the, the high priest was to intimidate the apostles, I suppose this would have been one way to do it. Uh, I doubt if this was really like a closed court. Uh, with no cameras allowed. Uh, I suppose that Peter and the apostles were standing before a large group, but there was no backing down. When boldness is authored by God, says solace as a rock it's built on. This house is not coming down. Notice also the high priest, and no doubt the rest of the council, was worried that Peter was trying to blame them for the death of Jesus when he said they intended to bring uh, this man's blood upon them. But Peter and the other apostles in verse 29 answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. I'm sure we all agree with Peter. Peter doesn't lack any boldness here, and he makes a statement. Not a defense, not a plea, but a straight-up statement. This is, the, this is how it is, period. Uh, too many times I fail to make an obvious statement. Too often I've let a witnessing opportunity uh, or a timely rebuke, get past me. So so often we, we let what people think or what we think people will say get the best of us. Too often we lack boldness. Uh, don't you just hate it when that moment gets past you and you don't say anything? Don't you hate it? I hate it. Uh, you know, I've got a situation. I had a barber, a guy named Chuck, and uh, I was a new believer, and, and Chuck was a Catholic, and he was a good man. And I, I was getting my hair cut, and he told me he had uh, bone cancer. And, uh, and I went home, and I thought about it for a day or two. I thought, i got to witness to Chuck. i got to go down and talk to Chuck. And I went, and the shop was closed. And I never saw him again. I mean, that was like a lot of years ago, and I still remember it. And it's still a big disappointment to me. Uh, so don't let what people think or what you think people are going to say get the best of you. Say what you got to say. Open rebuke in Proverbs, we read, is better than love, carefully concealed. Uh, so the mouth that got Peter in so much trouble in the Gospels becomes a powerful witness for the Lord here in 30, 31, and 32. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. In three verses, not so many words, Peter sums up the whole situation. And yes, he does place the man, the blame, this man's blood, right on them. You did it. You murdered him. The truth is, is a tough one to wrestle with. These men were eyewitnesses to the marvelous ministry of Jesus. His miracles, 
uh, and his teaching, his death on the cross, his resurrection, Peter is absolutely positive and solid in his delivery. Uh, He doesn't need any more rehearsal. He's telling him he's the Messiah. You murdered him. There is no maybe here. This is not a rhetorical question. He's telling them straight up. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill him. (laughs) Luke graphically described them as being sawn asunder. I love that. They were sawn asunder. They were mad. Uh, And Boy says, since they were unable to contend with the disciples on the level of truth, they resorted in a naked authority and force, force. First threats, second a beating, ultimately death. Verse 34, we read about, uh, uh, we, we're going to read about Gamaliel, a Pharisee addressing the council. There's some argument among scholars as to whether this is the Gamaliel that Paul refers to. Uh, but it's, most people agree it, it most likely is the same man. Acts 22, uh, Paul will be saying, I verily, which, I verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous towards God, and as ye are all this day. So Paul mentions this man. His stature, and I've always been kind of fascinated by him. So I kind of leaned on it a little bit for this study. Um, I was always kind of amazed that these guys that were so furious and, and so mad uh, that this guy gets up and speaks to them so sensibly, and they buy it. You know, So he obviously carried a lot of weight. His stature in the community is highly regarded, and his opinion carries a lot of weight. He was the grandson of Hillel, who had founded Israel's strongest school of religion. And although the Sadducees have more beef or more weight than, and more political power than the Pharisees, the push to kill the apostles, uh, the, the support of the Pharisees was important to them, uh, especially somebody like Gamaliel. In the Talmud, Gamaliel is described as bearing the title Nasi, which means prince, as prince of the Sanhedrin, and Rabban, our master. He was more than a rabbi. As the president of the great Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, although some dispute this, not doubted he held a senior position in the highest court in Jerusalem. Gamaliel holds a reputation in the Mishnah for being one of the greatest teachers in all the annals of Judaism. The Mishnah of Mishnah is the first major written collection of Jewish oral transitions traditions, also known as the Oral Torah. And it says here, since Rabban, this says in the Torah, in the Oral Torah, since Rabban Gamaliel, uh, the elder, died, there has been no more reverence for the law and purity and piety. This died at the same time. So this guy, who he is, is significant. And what he says is usually significant. Uh, notice how he speaks to the council. Uh, he's just so straightforward. When I came to the Lord, I, I came to the Lord at Church on the Way over in Van Nuys, and Pastor Jack, Jack Hayford, uh, uh, delivered the salvation message. And his invitation was so, 
non-threatening. It was so, uh, he didn't tell me I was going to turn and burn, you know, turn and burn. He didn't act like that at all. He was just so logical and kind and generous. And I listened to him and I said, okay, you know, <laughs> I'll try that. It worked. <laughs> uh, then one of the council stood up, a Pharisee, verse 34, named Gamaliel, a teacher of law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. So the religious and social position held by Gamaliel demanded their respectful attention. Now that he had the notice, he had the apostles removed. This is this is good. This is good business. Uh, he had them removed from their presence. Now the furious anger of uh, the uh, the Sanhedrin and the, the leaders uh, was removed. The object of their anger, and uh, and they had to listen to what he had to say. They they would not be reacting to the apostles, but to Gamaliel. Pretty smart. Verse 35, and he said to them, Men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. He begins with a straightforward warning. Take heed. It's like saying, listen up. Pay attention. Uh, There's reason to believe that Gamaliel was not a young man. Uh, (laughs) Like me. Uh, Actually, the first thing I call when I get out of the shower is my eyebrows. Uh, <laughs> so, and the Jews had great respect for their elders, uh, and uh, and when he called for his their attention, I'm sure he got just that their attention. Uh, there would uh, it would be a sense that he said, "Listen to your father." There would be that sense. Notice, uh, he never exactly says, "Don't kill these guys," but that's exactly what he means. In the next two verses, he gives two examples on which he will base his conclusion. Verse 36 and 37. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him, and, and he was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census, drew away many after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. Two examples that he that he gives, I noticed, were given, and they, they were they were not disputed. The 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 council did not say, well, you know, maybe, but you know, they uh, they accepted the arguments. Both of these men are mentioned by uh, Josephus in the Jewish Book of Antiquities. So, in fact, they they were real guys. In fact, they were the examples. The fact that they were the arguments were received without. Uh, without any uh, argument, tells me that they were accurate and logical, is the way I read it. In verse 38, And now I say to you, keep away from these men, and and let them alone, for if this work, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. Uh, notice that Gamaliel does not phrase this as a suggestion. Uh, he phrases it as a command, and his logic is without question. He's laying it down. He goes, this is how it is. Some serious stuff going on. It's got the high priest and the uh, and the council totally freaked out. All that's happening. These guys are pretty wigged out by everything. And he gives them two good examples of other rebellions, and and this is how it, they viewed it. They fell apart. And he assures them. He tells these these two rebellions they didn't work. 
They came to nothing. It will come to nothing. As I say, I keep saying this. There's a boldness in the book of Acts. And here, Gamaliel is bold. He's bold. We should remember that the men he is addressing are not ungodly men. They've missed their Messiah, but they acknowledge the God of Israel. I personally, I have a tendency uh, to forget or downplay the spiritual strengths of these men. It's important to remember that they're men of God. They are men of God. Uh, I'm not saying they were a 100% righteous group any more than I'm saying that we are a 100% righteous group. But I have to feel that although they missed their Messiah, they're reverent men. And I feel for this reason that verse 39 has, in, has such impact on them. But he adds, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest, even, lest you even be found to fight against God. I, think, I would think that Gamaliel is fairly sure what their understanding and response will be. But he uses the tag, lest you even be found to fight against God. To fer- paraphrase a worship song, if, if God is with them, who can be against them? You know, that's what he's telling them. Or put it another way, your arms are too short to box with God. You know? So in verse 40, and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. I, I just read a byline that said, logic is kryptonite to the radical left. <laughs> and unlike the radical left, though, uh, These guys, the high priest, this highly placed group, agreed with Gamaliel. I'm going to read you a a bit of David Guzik's commentary on this. Gamaliel spoke for himself and not for God. There are many movements that may have been considered successful in the sight of man, but are against God's truth. Success is not the ultimate measure of truth. Gamaliel was really a fence-sitter. He spoke as if they should wait and see if Jesus and the apostles were really from God. But what greater testimony did he need beyond Jesus' resurrection, the apostles' miracles? He took a wait-and-see attitude when there was plenty of evidence. Gamaliel proposed the test of time, and that's an important test, but more important than the test of time is the test of eternity. We should not be too ready to credit Gamaliel with having uttered an invariable principle. The Gamaliel principle is not a reliable index to what God, to what is from God and what is not. It's interesting, but his argument worked. Still, the conclusion of the matter, they were not executed. However, they were beaten. Gamaliel had to play the God card, but he won the hand. It was the fear of God that prevented them from killing the apostles. I have reason to believe that the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest weren't any less mad. They didn't get unmad. Uh, they, they, were, they were as mad as they were from the get-go. The beating was a serious beating. It was probably 40 stripes less one. You know, they were, they were beaten good. Uh, and the purpose uh, was to intimidate them and, and to stop them from preaching about Jesus. Once again, serious business. Highly placed religious leaders, many others tied by religious, economic, and social strength. We've gone over that many times, but the the whole temple uh, uh, routine was, it had all kinds of implications, spiritual implications, economic implications, social implications. 
a, a, a family, a person could be ostracized and, put, and they could, like, not do business. Uh, almost every aspect of their lives involved, revolved around keeping everything in order. And Jesus, Jesus absolutely upset the order of things. And the council saw these men as continuing with his work, his ministry. And they were right. They were. Maybe they really understood that, or maybe they sensed it, but this is the end of the Old Covenant. This is the end of the Old Covenant. The New Covenant covenant had already been established, only they didn't know it. Uh, Jesus had said in Matthew and Mark and also uh, in Luke 22.20, Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the New Covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So the, that was it. They, they, they beat him. The apostles left, and they never spoke another word about Jesus. Do you believe that? No, it's not true. Uh, so they departed from the presence of the council, verse 41, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. A question I ask frequently at county jail, because uh, uh, I'm, I'm with the prison ministry, how many of you think you should be dead, I ask them. Uh, I ask it to remind them, along with the breath in the lungs, they have hope, and that hope's in Jesus. Uh, the apostles just came away from really a near-death experience uh, and a serious beating, rejoicing, rejoicing. These guys came out, yeah, you know, their backs filleted, but they're happy campers. Uh, sometimes when we serve God, things don't go exactly as we would like them to. But somehow the Lord almost takes, almost always takes the most bitter pill and makes it a lot sweeter. These men knew of the suffering of Jesus because they witnessed it firsthand, from the arrest to the phony trial to the beating, scourging, mocking, torture, of course, the crucifixion. They had seen it all. They loved and worshipped the Lord, and compared to what he suffered, they rejoiced. They were happy to suffer on his account uh, because of his name. Back and forth, uh, they were told to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. It didn't work. As we read in verse 42 here, which is the last verse of our study, and daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Wow. There's a boldness. I keep mentioning this boldness. uh, And it continues to this day. If you take only the 3,000 that came to the Lord uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, or even... The, the few that were with Christ at the crucifixion, uh, what's happening? You know, look at the worldwide Christian community today. This all started with Jesus and a few men. And think about those guys. Those guys weren't superstars. You know, they were fishermen, tax collectors. Uh, they were normal folk. They were us. They were us. And, and what has come down, I see this room full of people. And it flips me out. Uh, what's the source of this boldness? It's surely not us. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit at work. He's amazing. Don told us last week that he was terrified to stand up here. But he, he taught a great message. Ask Don what the source of his boldness was. Uh, when I go to county on Sundays, and Chris knows, you know, I... I almost always wonder, who was that back there when I'm walking out? Who was that? Because I know it wasn't me. I know it wasn't me. 
Last Sunday, X was all fired up. I bet he wouldn't take any credit for it. Uh, has ever, anybody ever noticed how X walks up to the pulpit? Uh, he looks so eager, right? His step's quick, his head's back, you know, shoulders, neck are back. He's got attitude, you know? He does. He's got attitude. But that attitude, that attitude is not bad. That's the Holy Spirit. You know, he's, he just can't wait to share with us what he's discovered in the course of a week. You know, I went in his office one time to ask him something. It was during the week and he was studying. And his screen was divvied up in all these different screens and, and he had Bibles all over his desk. He still had time for me. Still had time for me. And I was like, look at this guy. He's a madman. You know? Uh, people have told me that, that they could never teach or lead worship. Uh, people have told me that you know, I couldn't do that. Uh, you're right. You can't. Because you're not the one that's going to do it. You know, that's the way it works. It's the Holy Spirit. I think what ends up happening, as, as more and more you open up, you start becoming Holy Spirit junkies. Uh, what we all do is you've got to let go and let God. It's that simple. Uh, when the apostles were released from prison, you have to think their first inclination was to bolt. I'm out of here. Uh, but they were directed to enter the temple and preach, and and, uh, and they could be forgiven for having their doubts. But when the Holy Spirit shows up, all your doubts disappear. All your doubts disappear. Uh, uh, they were fearless, okay? And here's, here's something that occurred to me just before I came here tonight. Fear is an obstacle that we put up, and it gets in the way gets in the way of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can ask, ask Justin. If, if he plays afraid, he doesn't play good. Right? You know? If you play afraid, you don't play good. Don't be afraid. You just got to let it go. Uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is in proportion to our willingness to receive him. I just read that this morning. It was Tozer. The Holy Spirit is there when you need him, and you need him. To be bold. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We're grateful for your word. We pray that it, that it penetrate our heart and that we learn who you are more and more and more every day. And that with each drop of blood that you shed on Calvary, Lord, that we receive the salvation that you had for us. We love you. We thank you for everything you do. Love, grace, and mercy. Wondrous words that roll off our tongue so easily that we lose sight of what they really mean. We thank you, Lord, for everything you've given us. I thank you for my brothers and sisters, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.